A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. Don't be fooled by bias. Think for yourself. That's from allsides.com. Today, we're talking with the Allsides founder and CEO, John Gable. This is Sarah from the left. And Beth from the right. You're listening to Pantsu Politics. No shouting, no insults, plenty of nuance. Before we get started, thank you to Laura and Tiffany for their donations to Pantsuit Politics. You can go to our website, PantsuitPoliticsShow.com, and make a one-time donation or become a supporter and get a free t-shirt for as little as $5 a month. So if you'd like to help us cover the cost of running Pantsuit Politics, please go check it out. Today, we wanted to start with some of the news of the day and the pearls. Sarah, I know that you have been following the Dakota Pipeline story closely. Yes, yeah, so there seems to be a big win for the um, protesters and people opposed to the Dakota Pipeline, which is that the Army Corps of Engineers has halted um, the planned pipeline through the, the oh, it's the, I'm afraid I'm going to mispronounce this, Lake Ahoy Corps Reserve on the Missouri, Missouri River in North Dakota. The Standing Rock Sioux have been protesting for several weeks and... This is a very big success for the Sioux. Unfortunately, I think, I think, I mean, they're still winterizing their protest and sort of their um, structures because Donald Trump could quickly go in and reverse this decision, I think. But for now, it's a success. That situation has just been kind of difficult for me to watch unfold and fully appreciate all the different interests at stake there. 
But it's certainly an, an example of pretty successful activism taking place. The treatment of the people involved in that acti- activism has obviously been disappointing and concerning. Yeah, there was water cannons and rubber bullets and water cannons during below zero temperatures. So it was really upsetting to see. I think at some point we will probably spend more time on giving some history and perspective on this situation. But for today, we needed to note that at least for now, there appears to be um, a a small win in the course of an otherwise really big and enduring battle over land ownership and respect for the tribal nations. And I mean, there's just a lot at work here. There's also been a lot of work overseas. There's been a lot of international news. Matteo Renzi, the prime minister of Italy, has resigned after there were some big voting uh, proposed changes to Italy's constitution. And he was a proponent of these changes. They lost. And he said if these proposals were defeated, that he would resign, which is what he did. I've seen this described as a self-inflicted wound on his part, and also as sort of an extension of Brexit and what happened in the United States election and this sort of global sentiment of, you know what, right now I'm just angry. Well, we did have some good news coming out of Austria, though, which is um, the Austrian president-elect is not the far-right opponent that I think everybody was afraid would win, the Norbert Hofer. But um, instead, Austria elected Alexander Vanderbellen. So that's really great. And I think it probably, at least Angela Merkel is probably breathing a little bit easier somewhere. Yeah, I think her election, her bid for re-election is a, in some ways, a bellwether for what's, how, how far is this movement going to go? The New York Times magazine had a really great big piece on um, sort of, I think they called it pan-Americanism. It was like about, is, is this sort of post-World War II, the end of anger? Anglo-American order. For decades, the United States and Britain's vision of democracy and freedom define the post-world war, post-war world, what will happen in an age of Donald Trump and Nigel Farage. So, I mean, I think that hopefully um, this Austrian election is a, a, is a, a little bit of good news because um, I happen to, be, to believe in the sort of post-war vision of post-war world vision of democracy and freedom and liberalism and a little concerned about these wave of populism. So we shall see. Another thing that we wanted to just hit on before we move into our discussion with John Gable from All Sides, Politico has been doing a series of stories about Betsy DeVos, who is Donald Trump's nominee for Secretary of Education. And the stories, one in particular, highlight what appears to be a deep religious conviction in the DeVos family and statements that her work on school choice is part of advancing God's kingdom on earth, in the words of the the stories. The insinuation, as you read these pieces, is sort of that this is inappropriate and perhaps disqualifying. Politico doesn't use the word disqualifying, but as you read it, there is a clear intention in reporting this information to say, hey, are we are we leaning towards something that violates church and state separation in the Department of Education? I am just concerned if we find ourselves in a world where 
anyone seeking any kind of public responsibility is is going to be foreclosed based on statements made in a different context. You know, what motivates someone to do activism or charitable work is still going to be present when that person serves in an office related to that charitable work or activism. But I do think people are capable of sorting out the difference between what they do as a private actor and a public servant. Well, I think what happens... It's the, are we taking things seriously or literally or literally or seriously debate we've had with Donald Trump? When you have someone coming into such a powerful position of public service with very little to zero public service record, what else are you supposed to look to as to how they are going to behave and what policies they're going to support? You know, I think that's such a, it's such a tough position to be in when you just don't have a lot of record to determine how people are going to act, what are you supposed to look to as indicators? That's a really fair point and a, and a problem with a lot of the Trump administration and a, a self-inflicted problem. I guess it just bothers me. And look, I'm not a particularly religious person. I went to church for the first time in like 11 years this past weekend. I consider myself a person of faith, but I would never use the phrase, I'm advancing God's kingdom. That's just not how I kind of roll. (laughs) But but I also don't want to be in a place where I'm so cynical or so fearful of people of deep religious conviction who express themselves that way that I find myself being angsty about someone in an office because of their spirituality. I mean, that to me is not different than saying I'm concerned about people of other faiths. And that's a conversation that's happening all over our country. And Mm -hmm. I I guess I just I don't want to find faith disqualifying any faith for any reason. I just don't. That's not where I want to be as a country. When a story comes out this way, what I sense in it is fuel of the fire of people who feel that their country is under attack Mm -hmm. or that their religion is under attack. I mean, you want to, I think the war on Christmas is such nonsense. I can't even get over how much traction it's gotten. But I think that stories like this and portrayal like this kind of energizes people who are already predisposed to having those feelings. You know what I mean? Yeah. No. And I think I think that is a valid concern. But it's just like you can't. I also think that we have to be careful sort of um, talking to the um, lowest common denominator of people that are always going to see the conspiracy. Um, like the gentleman who went to Comet Pizza um, over Pizzagate. Conspir- false news conspiracy theory over the weekend. It's just really terrifying as a person who's eaten at Comet Pizza. Um, so it's just hard. It's like how do you... You acknowledge that people take this information the wrong way without – you can't cater to those people either. Isn't that true on both sides of this equation? I I completely agree with that. So I don't think that you should not report information because you're worried about how the take my country back segment of the population is going to feel about it. I also don't think you should overemphasize something. The truth is, to your point, we don't know how this woman is going to handle her office. We don't know how Ben Carson will be the HUD secretary because he has no relevant experience to that that I can see. So we can we can say, hey, is this a suitable nominee because they have no experience or qualification? I think that is really different than 
hey, this person is has a background of tying her faith to her beliefs on certain issues, and therefore she will not serve us well in this role. Mm-hmm. The question to me is, there are there are reasons pro and con on Betsy DeVos as a choice. There are valid reasons on both sides of that equation. Let's flesh out those reasons. If she is confirmed, let us not assume that her faith is going to be her driving force in a way that's inappropriate. You know, because I just don't want to get to a place where we can't have people making any kind of statement that down the road could be interpreted in a way that disqualifies them from holding public office. Who's going to do these jobs yeah. if we if we obsess like this over everything? Yeah. And I do think that doing this about Christianity is not all that different than, I mean, I, I would certainly not want the conversation to be Betsy DeVos is a devout Muslim and we have concerns about that now. Right. I mean, that would be horrible for our country. And I, so I don't know. I just want to be careful. So speaking care- of being careful for my compliment of the other side, I'm throwing caution to the wind. And I'm going to compliment. I hope you're sitting down, Matt Walsh. I'm sitting down. But, but you know what? I'm not so surprised because you've been like reposting Matt Walsh, Matt Walsh on Facebook here and there. I have because he's making sense. Like I have a strict... Do not click Matt Posh, Matt Walsh policy. Like I never ever click his articles because, um, in so many ways, I find I, I thought of him as sort of like an Ann Coulter. I'll just say anything to rile people up. But mea culpa, I think that he there's a little bit more to Matt Walsh than I gave him credit for because I just took his most incendiary post that went viral and judged him based on that. But he has had several very thoughtful Facebook statuses about Trump and like. This very much like he particularly the one I recently shared was after the his tweet about millions of people voting illegally. And he was just like, I will not stand by this man no matter what, because he is conservative. This is idiotic. He is undercutting his own election like he just went for it. And I'm like, you know what? World turned upside down. Matt Walsh. Good job. I think that my compliment this week will be for uh, Richard Blumenthal. Mm-hmm. A Democratic senator from Connecticut. I've been reading a lot about Democrats' planned response to the Trump cabinet picks and possible Supreme Court nominations. And, you know, I think the Democratic Party is sorting out are we going to do obstruction in the Mitch McConnell style or not? Mm-hmm. And, and I have to say, I've heard a, a number of Democrats publicly expressing their willingness to work with the president-elect on issues that they can find agreement on, and I appreciate that. What I liked that I saw from Blumenthal was not talking about this in terms of obstruction, but saying that there should be recorded votes on every cabinet nominee and that everything should be heard in a thorough and fair fashion. And Mm. I completely agree with that. And if I were the president-elect and I had my nominees in front of the Senate, I would want that, right? That's the kind of process we're supposed to have. So I appreciate the way that he expressed that sentiment. Looking for the perfect gift to celebrate the moms in your life? Aura frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames that allow you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and share photos via the Aura app. And if you're giving an Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. You guys, I love my Aura frames. I have one in my office. I have one in my kitchen. I have given one as a housewarming gift. I have given one as Mother's Day, Father's Day. They are the most amazing gifts because this app is a game changer, in my personal opinion. 
in digital frames. It makes it so, so easy to get the pictures on there and even videos. It plays like you're in Harry Potter, you guys. It is the best. I love mine so much. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Use code Pantsuit at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your Wild Grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Can I get something off my chest? Every day I feel a little pang of sadness. Because I think about Griffin going away to college. Y'all, he's a freshman in high school. This is not healthy or normal. This is why I have it on my list of things to talk to my therapist about. We all carry around these things. Big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us. Therapy is a safe space to get these things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. You gotta get it off your chest. And you can get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Pantsuit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Pantsuit. So up next, we're talking up with the founder and CEO of All Sides. How did you get to All Sides? So I started All Sides really coming from a technology point of view. Um, I was early with Netscape, and back then, when, I, when we were starting this thing, when the Internet was a new thing, we had this theory that everybody would be connected all around the world, and we had access to all this information. And as a result, we would know each other better, be more tolerant of each other, and have better information or fingertips to make better decisions. Now, admittedly, back in 97, January 97, I gave a speech saying it might not work out that way. So I was afraid we would divide, actually learn how to um, put each other in little groups and dislike each other as a result, almost train our brains to discriminate in new ways. I had no idea it would happen the way it's happened in politics. I had no idea that 
as a result, we would actually be less tolerant of each other because we are so in such tight filter bubbles that we only know one perspective and only know people just like us and actually are more cut off from information and more cut off from people that are different than we are than we have been, I think, in the history of our nation, believe it or not. And that, I think, is what's driving the great polarization and the great breakage we see in society today. And that's why I wanted to change. Did you just kind of come up with the idea of all sides, or how did you get from examining that issue to where you are today? Over years, actually. And I did work in politics way back when, in the 80s. And what I learned was when I was a project manager for Netscape Navigator, I had more impact on society in a good way than I did when I was working full-time in politics in the 80s. Oh, and interesting. I, I did some interesting things, and I worked for somebody got elected president for the national committee and lots of campaigns. But technology drives us more than we recognize. And so I was really looking at how to change that. And out here in California, where I live now, we have lots and lots of initiatives on the ballot every year. We have like over 50 um, in my ballot in San Francisco between the state and the city. And we have to do a lot of research to figure out what to, how to vote. I remember trying to do research to share with my friends on each initiative years ago to kind of give the best description possible from the left and from the right. And so people could kind of make up the decision for themselves, show them who supported which initiative and what the different best arguments were for both sides. It took me a week to do that. And I'm thinking as a technology guy, with all this technology and Internet, why should it take me who has a good background in politics so long to figure out what to do here. Something's broken. And that was the beginning of a journey that's led us to here. What would you tell our listeners who haven't spent any time on allsides.com right now about what you're trying to do and how they can best be a consumer of what you're trying to do? Well, we're really a part of a movement, if you will, a bigger movement to kind of get past that kind of ignorant, divisive rhetoric and information. When you go to our site, it looks like we're just doing something pretty cool, which is showing the news on the left, center, and right. It's very simple. You see that. You can also go to any issue. You can search for any issue. We'll automatically bring up news from different perspectives on that political issue for you. We even have a new dictionary, an all-sites dictionary, so you can look up a term like racism. And how conservatives and liberals and everything in between, how people actually use that term differently and define it differently in terms of the way they use it so you can understand other people. But what we're really about is helping people quickly and easily make, decide for themselves so they can really see different points of view, really get a broad spectrum of perspectives on what the news is and how to look at issues so they can really decide for themselves and even hear and listen to people that are different than they are. As you're looking at the biases, I, I love that there's a bias rating for every story on all sides. As you're looking at those, do you come to any conclusions about where journalism is today? Um, you know, because I, I noticed that within, it's not like we can say to our listeners, here is a consistently neutral source right now. Yeah, and we have a somewhat unique perspective, and I don't think there's there's no such thing as unbiased. That's exactly Everybody's how we biased. feel. <laughs> yeah, and, and I, that's one of the reasons why when we first learned about you oh, um, over a year ago now, 
we were just thrilled because <laughs> you're doing the kind of same thing we're doing. But nobody's unbiased. Everybody's biased by what they know and what they don't know and their entire life experience up to that point. And it's not necessarily a bad thing to be biased left or right. The problem is if the bias is hidden. or mm. if, So if the p- information you get is biased one way or the other and you don't realize that and you're running so quickly you're not aware of the other p- points of view, that's dangerous. I, I consider that more dangerous than a lot of the talk about fake news because it really means that if you, you can get accurate news, but if you just get it from one point of view, it basically does not give you the other side or the facts that support a different conclusion. Well, and it's and just as manipulative like, as anything else. Go ahead. Don't you feel like the hidden, to me, the hidden bias comes from both angles. If you, um, if you don't understand the bias from the source, that's one part of the problem and you feel like that's a hidden bias. But also it's almost like if you don't acknowledge or sort of understand your own hidden biases, that can be such just as big of a problem as well. Absolutely. And the way to deal with that is to consciously go out and see the other. And the best way to kind of get past our own biases is to listen with curiosity so I'm I'm a little bit from the right. Um, my partner's very centrist, and another partner who started a schools program is very progressive. She actually was one of the co-founders of MoveOn.org. So we definitely have a spectrum covered in our group. Um, we found that it works very help very well psychologically speaking. If you just go in from a point of view of curiosity, if you're like, why does this pe- person think that? So a good friend of mine who's a teacher. Um, who is one of my favorite people on the planet. She and I both feel passionately about education. We have different ideas about what the right thing to do is to improve education for everybody at every level. When we've had discussions, we're good friends, so we can really kind of get into it. We recognize if we go deeper and deeper and deeper between why she thinks this, why I think that, we eventually get to the exact same core mission we're on. And we just have different assumptions on the best way to get there. And when you do that, what's interesting is we find areas where we do agree. And what's probably most important for the nation, where we want this kind of discussion to happen more often, is that instead of saying, oh, I disagree with you on the environment, therefore you must be one of those people that are evil, Hmm. you say, well, maybe I disagree with you on this topic, but I understand that you're a good human being. I'm willing to work with you in other cases, particularly when we agree. Um, even if, because I no longer think you're an evil person. I just think we're different on this and we'll work together to figure out a best solution. That's a huge difference. Well, and I wonder too, I think there's a, a couple facets of that issue, which is, you know, there's a polarization and a, um, partisan animosity. So there's a distrust between, you know, the different sides of the political spectrum. And then there's also this sort of third part of what I see as a triangle, which is the animosity towards the media itself. You know, what I've noticed is what a generational component there is. Like I I said this to Beth and then happenstance had to happen to have a conversation with my stepfather, who's a baby boomer, who said, and I told Beth, I think baby boomers want Walter Cronkite. They want Walter Cronkite back. They want the one source that they know is telling them the truth or that they think is telling them the whole truth and that there's these objective facts, whereas I'm much more comfortable reading six things about one story and coming to a conclusion. And then I happen to have an argument with my stepfather in which he said, well, we used to have Walter Cronkite, you know? And so I think that, so there's this 
there's just so many different facets of this problem. And I'm wondering how you see all sides sort of taking apart all those different pieces. Historically, Walter Cronkite is an aberration. So mm-hmm. early on in America, you had very extreme, much ruder than the news media is today, from one extreme or the other. Oh, yeah. I'm reading Hamilton's biography right now. Oh, really it, it, it's it remarkable. <laughs> it really was. It's, you're totally right. It's really remarkable. But back then, I thought it was better because a guy came in to, on horseback into your town and handed you a pamphlet from Common Sense and, and maybe Sarah a pamphlet from... Um, ben Franklin and Nia pamphlet from the Tories, and we would all read and self-select what we agreed with. However, we would also talk to each other because it was a close community, and I probably helped you pull a plow out of a stuck mm-hmm. mudslide the other day or something. And right. so we knew each other as human beings. So even though we disagreed, we could talk about it and work through it and understand each other and make the best decisions we could and, and sometimes continue to disagree, but that's okay. Um, we don't necessarily want, we don't want a nation of blind people all thinking one way is the right way to go. Um, whether you like the Walter Cronkite world or not, that's not happening again. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it was an aberration for a short period of time. The flow of information is too diverse now. What we need is the ability for people to quickly be able to see different perspectives and quickly pick up what they need to know about something um, efficiently and effectively. So you need to be able to know the bias. You need to get it together very quickly so you can still move on with the rest of your life because politics is not the number one priority for most people in America, fortunately. Right. They have other priorities, which is a good thing. Mm-hmm. But just be able to kind of give up and say, I'll just do or say what these other people tell me, that's dangerous. That's when, and actually millennials who most strongly believe in different points of view are actually, in terms of their behavior, most in danger of this, where just whatever comes through their feed is kind of what they accept as Mm. reality. And all their feeds are very narrow-minded. Whether you're a hard-left millennial or hard-right millennial, your feed on Facebook or whatever is driven by friends just like you and by Internet algorithms, I understand that you're probably left or right, and therefore give you results that fit your bias. Your world is much more manipulated and controlled to give you one point of view than you realize, and it has a bigger impact on you than you realize. There's been a lot of scientific studies to support that, actually. Well, something that I think is so difficult about the, the challenge that you're grappling with and that we're all grappling with is that the feed... There's not just bias in the story and how the story is presented, but there's so much bias in sort of the editorial choices, like what makes it into your feed. I've I've seen more in my Facebook feed about this, in my view, ridiculous BuzzFeed story about the fixer-upper people <sighs> than about what's happening in Syria. But it's because of the way those algorithms work to present the stories to us, Right. And sort of the clicks as control, editorial control, I think is such a problem. And I, I would love any thoughts that you have about that phenomenon. I love that you recognize that. A lot of people don't. And I think the biggest bias is actually what stories are covered. So there's a lot of great examples of that. Um, daily we see, and every week, the New York Times and the left tends to cover anything about the climate while the right might ignore it entirely. 
while the right was talking about Benghazi and actually problems with um, economic issues, particularly among in middle America, while the left was like saying, oh, these job results are kind of interesting. So in that case, it, sometimes they cover the same thing, but with a very different perspective where the headlines alone make you think they're covering completely different stories, even where they're reporting from the same government report. Or sometimes it would just not be there at all. Um, Benghazi was covered a lot on the right and almost entirely ignored, certainly from the front pages ignored on the left for the longest time. So that happens a lot. So what we do is we consciously look at the different silos, uh, different left, center, right, as well as libertarian, socialist, green. We consciously look at media in these different areas. And when there's a story that's covered by all of them, it's at the top, we cover it. When a story covered by one group but not the other, we include that as well. Even if it's libertarians, it doesn't have to be mainstream right or mainstream left or um, daily cause or more socialist-oriented groups. We bring those in as well. So we do have a bias. Our bias is towards actually showing all the different points of view so you can decide that. And we really try to avoid choosing what the story should be. We try to reflect what's out there. But we do add the additional bias of we're also going to pick up articles that are being covered in a certain spectrum of people, like libertarians or green or otherwise. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I I think it is it's important to I mean, on the one hand, like I'm a free market kind of girl. Right. So I think let's put all of this information out in front of everyone and, and let's all be good consumers of news. I guess I just struggle with how do we get people to ask the question, why am I even seeing this? <laughs> does this does this qualify as news for me? Well, I well, think the way to get there is <laughs> just make it easy for them to see the differences and empower the people who already understand that's important. So if we give tools to people to understand seeing different points of view is important and make it easy for them to share with their friends, that'll spread naturally. We don't have to go to, we don't have to be so focused on a group of people out there who aren't ever going to take that extra step. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. But if we reach out to the people who are willing to take that extra step and make it very easy for them to see the different points of view and share them, then naturally others will see the different points of view and will begin to recognize that their own worlds are a little bit bubbled. And, and that's okay. Well, I have a question. I wonder if, from your perspective in all sides, um, if you if there were any sort of developments in the last presidential campaign that other people that the sort of mainstream media saw as surprising, but you felt like, from your all sides perspective, were less so. Well, I thought two things. Um, one, I was thinking all along that it'd be close. I actually didn't think Trump could win, but I thought it'd be close, and I actually was hoping it'd be close because. I, regardless of the outcome, I was hoping to be close because I wanted people to understand that they really are ignorant about what's going outside their world. Mm. Um, and the one thing, whether you like the result or not, the one thing good about this result is that people recognize, particularly out here in California, they're like, what? There are other people who have just such a different worldview. And mm. I think in any place you live, there's a tendency to have a one very singular worldview. And to understand that that is not the entire country is a valuable thing. And for people, so to your earlier question about how do people begin to understand that they need to see different sides, this is the beginning of that. 
and to see how narrowly focused our news feeds are. I mean, in a way, I, I hate to use this example, but I do a lot. It's kind of like an alcoholic who has to recognize there's a problem before they can get better. And mm. the problem we're having is that we're so fundamentally pigeonholed into one point of view that we're completely unaware of real problems of other people in the country. And now that we understand that problem, now that we understand that our information is so cut off and we're in such a weird, different world view, each of us, that now we can do something about it. I think that gets a little bit to the dictionary. I, I really like that you took this on of creating this dictionary around sort of the most hot button topics in our discourse and that you that you ask questions after providing some perspectives on those terms. So, for example, I'm looking at abstinence in your dictionary, and you have questions about whether there are win-wins that could be supported by multiple sides here. How did you come to this format, and, and what are you hoping grows out of it? Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible, and skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, and Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you, Ritual, for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. Dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code PANTSUIT at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. 
their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code podcast 15. We had a group of about 30 um, professional mediators and academics who kind of started this on their, well, who did start this on their own. They were looking at it. They're involved with the National Coalition of Dialogue and Deliberation, which is a group of well-meaning people and professionals who are trying to foster conversation. And what they discovered is that people couldn't even talk about these issues at all because as soon as you said a word, one person would say a word that seemed completely innocent. The other person would react to it in a horrible way, that they were just so offended. And, and you, it really was a matter of people not using the same language. So they didn't even understand the words each other were using because they meant such different things to different people. So they started this project and saying, you know what, we, we're professionals and deliberation. We know that you need to understand each other and hear each other. Maybe we can start something and write something and get a group of people from the left, center, and right to review each article and start helping people understand each other and what they really mean. And that's how this began. And I actually didn't even meet these folks until a little farther along. And I loved what they were doing so much. We said, maybe we can make this mainstream. I mean, they were just doing kind of almost as an academic project. And they really had no idea about how anybody would discover it. And I was like, we need to bring this into the conversation. Let's bring it into news. So if there's a story about race or abortion or economic disparity or any economic inequality, let's get this definition in there so people can begin to understand how other people might react. And so that's, that's how I came about. Um, I give all credit to... Um, Jacob Hess, uh, John Backman, and some others who made this happen from the academic and media and mediation world. What is the biggest challenge that you see for all sides going forward? I think it's interesting. We're really redefining how to do news media. And we're also including with it all sorts and building ways to have dialogue, both in person and, and online where you hear each other and listen to each other. I think our biggest challenge is really providing these tools and kind of giving focus to a movement out there that doesn't have a name. What you two are doing, there are literally a hundred different organizations I know and groups of people who are dedicated to having people listen to each other and, and have a conversation across divides, even when they disagree. But it's so counter to any business model that the news media wants to do and so counter the way that um, the technology is driving things that it's, it's just kind of all over the place. It's, it's getting big. So our biggest challenge is actually giving focus and direction to this movement and a business model, frankly, so news media will copy it. So they'll be rewarded for quality news that covers different perspectives, while today they're financially rewarded for very one-sided, narrow-minded news that supports their, um, that kind of gives, gives their supporters whatever they want to hear. 
that's what we're working on, is trying to bring focus to this movement and show people how you can really do this well and even make a business out of doing something positive for the nation as opposed to a divisive world. Well, we obviously applaud that effort. Um, so I'll ask, do you have advice for our show or people trying to have this conversation? I mean, 100 in the scope of the United States is a tiny number, right? <laughs> so um, if, if, you, if, I'm, if I'm out there listening, um, what, what can I do to propel things forward? And then if you have insight for Sarah, and I will take it as well. Well, I, I mentioned a hundred organizations, but um, there are a million and a half people in one who sign up for one organization, um, three million in another. There are a lot of people involved. And when you look historically at what begins a movement in America, we probably only need about 10 to 12 million people total to believe in this to change policy. And that's a small percentage of the 300 million or so people in, in America. So it's actually bigger than you think. And it's having college campuses and, and think tanks. In terms of what you can do to make that happen, I think sharing things like Pantsuit um, Politics and, and all sides and other organizations you run into is helpful. But also behave in that way. So social media otherwise, start kind of living the, the motto. Um, there's a group that we're working with, Living Room Conversations, that's all through our site that shows you how you can actually invite a friend who you disagree with on an issue to your home, and both of you invite two others, and you have an experience, a conversation in your living room um, from different perspectives. And as you experience that, not only does it kind of change your point of view, it really moves the other people you have that experience with, and it, it, it virally spreads in the best possible way. Well, that is an awesome note to end on and totally consistent with our sort of echo, exit the echo chamber mentality. So, John, thank you so much for spending time with us. 20 million American families, one out of every four renters, are squeezed by the high cost of housing. And unfortunately, we haven't heard much about this issue in the current election cycle. That's where Make Room comes in. Make Room is an organization that gives a voice to struggling renters and elevates rental housing issues for our representatives. So affordable housing is something that affects everybody. And if you go to makeroomusa.org, you can learn more about this public crisis, some of the solutions, and read stories of those affected. But more importantly, you can actually send a direct message to your local and state representative or your members of Congress demanding that they pay attention to this very important issue. And this is really in the spirit of pantsuit politics, getting involved, letting people know what issues are not getting the attention they deserve. Make Room is committed to sending one million messages to Congress so that they get the picture. We hope you'll go to makeroomusa.org to make your voice be heard. Oh, it's our rival. It's so good, y'all. It's so good. So, so what made it so good? Well, you think it's an alien movie? but it's totally not just an alien movie. It's really a hard movie to talk about because there's massive spoilers that I don't want to give away. But it's just really, it's a, it's based on a short story that my husband had been trying to get me to read. It's just a very cool sort of thought experiment and exploration of the importance of language and um, the way we perceive the world. And it was just super good, and I highly, highly recommend it. Are you a big, um, like, this is my favorite time of year because this is when all the Oscar bait starts coming out, and I'm like, you know, depressing movies make me cry. I love the whole shebang. 
I don't want any of that in my life, which probably won't uh, surprise you. I just, I don't want to cry. I don't want to feel depressed. I, I, if I'm going to do that, I want it to be like in my community kind of ways. Like, let me see what's really going on here and how can I do something about it? So no, I'm not, a, I'm not a tear totally, jerker. Oh gosh. No, there is, there is such, I'm so opposed to this. There is such an important role for art because it's like, you know, they say, you like fiction makes you more empathetic because it is one of the in movies I think is a similar situation in that you put yourself in a way in a space in another person's life and another person's experience art allows you to do that that no other you know touring a homeless shelter can't allow you to do I think it's so important I, I think really that's do. true for different people and look I love art I mean I I love museums I love music I love drama um, I just don't want to, I don't want to go to a movie theater and leave in tears right now. Just not what I want. I mean, I think there's also something to be said for what kind of energy do I want to put in my life? And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with loving these movies. I think that's terrific. I'm glad some people do. It's just not where I am. I have been there before in my life. I'm sure I'll be there again. But in this season for me, <laughs> I just am not going to devote my emotional energy to the Oscar nominees. That's where I am. Oh, God, I love it. <laughs> love it so much. Um, fun fact about me. I've seen all of the American Film Institute's top 100 films. I've also seen every Best Picture winner ever. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I'm on a documentary kick right now. So if you guys, Sarah did a shout out for Christmas music. If you have documentaries that you think are fabulous, please send them my way because I'm really enjoying, I'm, I'm diving into documentaries right now, which is progress for me. You know, that's, that's true. You used to not want to learn at all. You said you were a foot firm on the oh, no, mindless like, reality of television. Yeah. It's not that I don't want to learn at all. It's that usually I want my television to be very bubblegum. Um, yeah. And I still like to make room for that. But um, but I am enjoying some documentaries. Yeah, I meant right learn now. while watching TV, not at yeah. all. Yeah. <laughs> I go in and out of these things. I, and I will say, I was thinking back to previous editions of The Heels before, and this is getting in the Wayback Machine, but I want you to know, Sarah, that I have switched to bar soap. <gasps> I, hoped, I just felt strongly that that's what you were going to say. Like, I had a premonition she's going to say. <laughs> I switched, but I knew that's what you were going to say, first yes. of all. And... It's better, right? I told you it was better. I am months now into my bar soap journey. And what helped me is finding a little wooden stand for my soap oh, that I really like because I had been be nice. so opposed to like the soap residue and things. And I have found the perfect stand. That. And so that's made a big difference for me. But yes, soap I am. is superior, y'all. Get on board. Bipartisan agreement now. I, I loved my gels, and I'm not going to lie, but I feel so much better about not having those containers that it comes in. So Yeah, and it's wasteful, and they go faster. You spend more money on them. I always feel like it's sort of like worse for our water supply for some reason. Um, and soap is very, you know, I feel very strongly about the targeted nature of soap. Like, the skin on my forearms doesn't need to have chemicals washed across it every day. I just feel pretty strongly about that. So I'm, I'm with you on bar soap at this point. And I'm Yay! sure one day I will watch Oscar nominations again. It's just not right now. <laughs> I'm very – this is where I'm very – I'll get religious for a second. This is where I'm total Ecclesiastes about there's a season for everything. <laughs> I feel that. This is not my Oscar nomination season. Well, the only thing that at Pansy Politics we maintain all year long is nuance. So keep it nuanced, y'all. We'll be back next week or Friday with an episode of The Breeze Case, um, and we look forward to talking with you then.